Welcome to the Salted Podcast, where we are translating and transforming our view of politics, pop culture, and personal preferences. In this episode, we discuss how God's design for families plays a central role in human flourishing and how we respond to conversations about human sexuality. Let's get salty. Welcome to the Salted Podcast. My name is Yon. This is Dan. And we are here to discuss... Well, first, we're going to talk about the Easter Bunny later. So Ooh. we'll start with the end in, in mind yeah. first. Is the Easter Bunny the devil? Oh, stop. Yeah, well, I don't know. We'll answer that question. Professor <laughs> Dan will answer that question in our personal preferences this, That category. is the question everyone wants to know, right? That's right. Uh, but the main topic of conversation is primarily about the concept of families and you might be thinking families that's a weird thing to talk about when i look at the world when salted is supposed to be translating and transforming our world of politics pop culture and personal preferences i don't see much about family why are you guys talking about that turns out family is in the news all day every day if you if you can uh if you have that filter if you can see it yep and we're going to talk about Um, why families are kind of a foundational topic to discuss and how it kind of informs or lays the bedrock on all these other conversations that are currently happening. And um, some examples around that are like like the Don't Say Gay Bill, for example, example, in in Florida, Um, how it kind of informs that, um, how it informs the conversation around transgenderism, um, around even legislation around marriage rights and, um, you know, True lo- or love wins, right? That kind of idea. Did you almost say true love wins? True love wins. Did I almost say <laughs> you that? You almost said that. It's in I, your bones. Also, I almost said true love wins, oh. but, which is also true. <laughs> You're, it's um, in your bones. Yeah. So um, other conversations about public policy and how do you handle kids. But really, it's like it's the we're talking about the idea that biblically designed and informed families are one of the primary environments contributing to human flourishing. Right. And the question, I think, that a lot of... Uh, a lot of us need to consider is why are families so important? Is it possible that families, our families, someone else's families, or families in general, are being attacked? And who's attacking the family if anyone's attacking the family? Right. Yeah. And so, um, if if we're if if we really believe that God has has a design, right? And this is kind of how we frame the human sexuality, human the sexual ethic conversation in general. But um, God has a design, a specific design that is the best um, in the best case scenario for human flourishing as he's the creator uh, of humanity. And so um, families is a, is a critical component of that. And the reason that we're talking about that is that you can kind of see um, this show up. And like I said, the don't say gay bill, right? There's there's lots of conversation um, around that. And really, if you get down to when you get to like a really generous conversation about or uh, uh, at attribution of intent, I guess is a better way of saying it. Mm. Um, if you assume some really good intention on both sides, you can say, well, if you get down to it, you're like, well, the don't say gay bills about families. Cause the, the one side is a conversation of these conversations don't belong in a public school. They should be, they should happen within the family union. Right. And then the other side would say, well, no, families are so important, but when you look at the makeup of America, they're like the family unit is kind of breaking down. And these, a lot of these kids, we have to have these conversations with these kids who are, um, who are transgender, who are gay, because they can't have that conversation in their family unit right. at home because it's not a safe space. Okay, so let me get this straight. It's possible that the Don't Say Gay bill has created arguments that we're hearing on either side that are hyperbole. 
that, oh, that, yeah. that are exaggerated <laughs> implications of the bill. But really, there's a fundamental, foundational underpinning, or a, there's a bigger argument underneath yeah. that, that we're going to look at. Of course, and that would be helpful, right? When you're thinking about salting the earth, you want to say, well, what's under the bottom? What's driving this so that we're not uh, kind of flailing around trying to understand symptoms? We're right. trying to get to the bottom of it or to get to the roots of it. And what you're saying, I think, Yon, is the roots of what we're seeing in our pop culture or the politics of the Don't Say Gay bill, which, by the way, is worth noting is not the name, is not the name right, of the sure, bill. Of course, yeah. yeah, it's the hyperbole political <laughs> implications of the bill, right? Yep. So what we're what you're saying is, if we filtered this properly right from the beginning, we wouldn't see this as a gay rights bill or an identity, um, gender identity bill, or an attack on either side. What you're saying is, if you see this properly, you'll see it as a question of the autonomy and authority of a family yeah. to instruct its own family. Correct. From yeah. our viewpoint. Right. And then and then you take that one level down and you say, why is the family so important? Is because we there's a biblically informed design for right. human flourishing. Yeah. Right. Which is so and we normally argue with that that top level, like you said, we're arguing symptoms when in yeah. fact there's multiple beliefs and really foundational um, doctrinal theological things in there specifically to God's design and that's where the that's where the conversation we should be we kind of have a conversation we assume oh yeah this person believes kind of the same thing I do when in fact that that core foundation yeah. we talk about the fruit we're not talking about the root yeah, right? yeah we never address the root we think we're just totally different roots which, which explains why when you see it that way it explains why both sides literally will fight to the death over it Right, yeah. because it's just not a law about what you can and can't say. It's a law protecting that which is most important to somebody. In one case, on one side, it's the autonomy and authority of the family, and on the other side, it's the significance and value of an identity. Right, right. And if both, you listen yeah. generously, and both people arguing—I say both—but like all these different camps arguing, this is essentially the best pathway to human flourishing. Mm, right. Yeah. This is. This is the path we and we're gonna we will discuss you know in this episode specifically what the biblical design for human right. flourishing and why families is important well mm -hmm. that and how that is a unique and different approach to all the other approaches to families and and human design and human flourishing so, yeah yeah so that's where we're headed I mean I like it we're almost we're, we're almost out of time in our intro but yeah but, <laughs> but let's talk a little bit let's give you kind of a picture we'll start with just a picture of of what does the family look like in the United States. I think we looked up a stat that it says the average size of the family in America is like 3.19 people. Mm. So you're looking at like two parents, one kid, and... 0.9 other Yeah, 20% of another person. Yeah, right. so, um, <laughs> so, and that is... I mean, over the last 15 years, I think we saw that's relatively steady. Yeah. But from the 19, I think, like, 60s. 79. At, yeah, it was yeah. like it dropped down from, from something like 3.7. So yeah. it was closer to four people in the family uh, than you would have um, one. And so it's almost one less person in the past yeah. um, 50 years. Yeah, almost, yep. And then we look at, well, I mean, what are people's opinions about marriage and childbearing and kind of starting a family and yeah. embracing that, right? And the question is... Is society better off if people prioritize marriage sure. in childbirth or if they don't? Yep. And this is from, from Pew. It's they, they say overall, overall, 34% of U.S. adults say that they are better off if people make marriage and having children a priority. 
So one in three. Wow. Right? Um, is that low? That seems low. I don't know. It seems low, but the other, the alternative is that 64% said that, that people are just, society is just as well off if people have priorities other than marriage and children. Right? Wow. So to me, a, that seems high and it seems low that that many people would would believe that that society is better off not right, their lives right. but just society in general that's why that statistic is so important right, right. a third of our population says meh no, no big deal two-thirds of our population says right right yeah. right yeah. yeah a third of our population <laughs> says meh about having families or the significance of sure. families yeah and so but you can kind of see there's some breakdown like so there's a religious affiliation 41 percent of religiously affiliated people mm. um that includes you know catholics black protestant white evangelical but 40 41 percent say it's a it should be a priority um 56 percent say eh, it's not really a priority all right there's other things um religiously unaffiliated 16 percent of the religiously unaffiliated those are Ooh. atheists agnostics or nothing in particular 16% say that um, society is better off wow. with people making a marriage and having children a priority. And a full 82% Ooh. say that it's not, you know, the society okay. is just as well off. So, Young, 8 out of 10 religiously unaffiliated people have z- uh, li- minimal convictions about the importance of family. Correct, yeah. That is yep. fascinating. And if you look at the left-right divide, you know, po- um, political party, Republicans, it's 50 to 48, 50 pro uh, family yeah. priority, 48, uh, it's not as important. And then Democrat or lean Democrat, it's 22% has say that society is better off. Wow. Uh, and 77% that, you know, it's, it's okay just to prioritize okay, others. Okay, so religiously unaffiliated Democrat or leaning Democrat are overwhelmingly 77% to 82% who say, we're just as well off in our culture if we prioritize other things besides marriage and children. Right. Okay. So there's a pretty big dichotomy between yeah. religious affiliation. Even the religious affiliation is—it still skews towards the it's not a priority. Mm. Um, but you know, it is significantly different. That's the dichotomy of generally religious and non-religious. So that's kind of like the, again, that's the idea. That's where the the current state of families are, and the current state of the opinions yep. and perceptions of the importance of it. Right? So that helps us understand which. Probably, you know, and this is, of course, anecdotal, but it's it's likely, I'm extrapolating here, it seems like we can kind of extrapolate who the two sides are that are battling. One side says, of utmost penultimate importance is family and childbearing. Right. And the other side, which we've just defined here statistically, are saying, it's just not that important. Other things are are equally or more important. Right. And so yeah. this, yeah, so this gets down to that foundational right. perspective, the worldview of what, what is, you know, and it's not, like you said, it's not even about, the question wasn't about the individual. It was about what's best for society. Right, right. So essentially they're answering the question of what's best for human flourishing. Yes, exactly. And it's not to prioritize families. Right. Yeah. And we would uh, argue that there's the other, uh, the other third or whatever rail is that Christianity and the gospel center worldview would argue that it is in fact God's design to contribute to human flourishing. So again, these are the conversations. These are the underlying foundational roots that are informing our conversations Mm -hmm. that bludgeon each other with hyperbole on social media. But these are the conversations that we, we're just a fundamental misalignment of the, the, the perception of what contributes to human right. flourishing. So one side is afraid that if they lose this battle, they lose the importance of family. And the other side, if they lose 
the battle, they they lose the importance of individual freedom slash individualism slash gender identity slash um, um, affirming whoever and whatever you want culture to be. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so, it, so that's the. I mean. It's that's the starting point that we should probably have, right? Right. We should start with this underlying conversation, which is why we're talking about it. Um, but then there's this other. I mean, there are some other inf- informing some important worldviews because we're translating and transforming our worldview. So there's translating. Where does these Where does these opinions come from? Mm. Right. There. There's one thing to answer it, but kind of what's the worldviews that are informing most of the people yeah. uh, that of why this would be the case? Right. Right. Because it's not just random. Uh, opinions, right? Yeah. These are worldviews that are fueling these these um, assertions. Yep. And there's yeah. a whole host, and and like we'd like to describe, it's not one side or the other. It's all these different opinions that are informing the way that we show up. Generally, our arguments are always we perceive it as one side or the other, right? Left or right. It's usually in the po- political realm. But yeah. there's a lot of different viewpoints, and and so let's just go through a, a couple of these, some prominent ones to say, well, what are some of the worldviews that are informing them compared to the biblical worldview yeah. that we'll talk about? Um, we'll talk about Mormons, not a huge, we'll just start there, not a huge piece of the American population, but they are kind of famous for their families. I was literally just going to say that. Yeah. I mean, if you say family and you don't say Mormon, you don't, right. you've been living under a rock the last 30 years. They have a massive gl- uh, national campaign a media campaign uh re- revolving around the value of family yep and so what we see is it's pretty unique in that um there are some theological underpinnings in there but i mean if you think like something like ancestry.com it's like there's a there's a really distinct idea in mormonism that is like they love their families and they love to trace their families are so important that you can actually posthumously like get your family baptized and you can spend eternity with them. So it's Ooh. kind of an interesting uh, element to their, their, the centrality of the family in their theology. But, um, but you know, Mormon family, they got a big family, lots of kids, right? Everything's uh, blonde hair, blue eyes. And right? suddenly you're dropping this bomb on us. Ancestry.com is a Mormon company. Yeah, well, yeah, that's, well, that's a whole nother. There's yeah. a little trivia, <laughs> a little trivia. Um, so Mormons kind of like they're known famous for their families, right? Um, come bigger ones, right? Hinduism. So marriage is kind of viewed as a gift from God, which serves the purposes of allowing people to have sex, joining two people together, but having kids, right? So you're starting a family unit um, and to engage a fulfillment of a householder stage of life, which is kind of a unique construct that they have. But Buddhists kind of not as strongly. Buddhism is kind of a, 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 a Western philosophy that people yeah. kind of embrace, right? But they, they're not a strongly family-centered religion or philosophy at all. It's um, like an individualism or an enlightenment, right? right. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. oneself. Yep, there's a level of detachment, right? So why yeah. would you embrace yourself yeah, with a family, true. right? Yeah, that's so, true. Um, Catholicism, marriage specifically, right, is like one of the seven sacraments. Yeah, um, yeah. So kind of that would extend to the, the, the idea of family and that being a, a core uh, place. So Catholicism has a big piece. And, you know, again, I mean, there's there's lots of conversations, again, around, um, like, birth control and stuff like that and contraception, why that's inappropriate in in, in Catholic uh, theology and doctrine. Um, and sp- huge on the, um, quote-unquote, pro-life cause, right? Correct, the yeah. sanctity of life and... Yep, yeah, yep. And, the, you know, the procreation piece of marriage and right. they start the family, so... Yep. 
Um, and then there's kind of like the, the political Marxist theology or actually theology. That's a Freudian slip right there. Yeah, <laughs> but it is right. Worldview. Yeah. The worldview of, yeah. So the idea that the traditional Western family unit is a, uh, is like a power structure and it's kind oh, of designed right. to subjugate people by giving them a sense of control and power. So wait, so say that again. So. So the worldview of a Marxist regarding the family is that it's a power structure. Right. So essentially there's a broader um, power structure. And so the people in power, in order to keep the, themselves in power, they create a, and maintain a family unit so that the lowest people on, who don't have any power have a little microcosm where they do have some power. Uh-huh. Right. So they're like, oh, I, I do actually have some power in this and it's oh. over my own family. Oh. That way... They won't, you know, they'll be like, okay, so, and it's, and I don't it's need to oppress anybody else. Right. Yeah. I don't need to overturn. I'm not really oppressed because I can, I have control over my family, right? My nuclear family. Interesting. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a, there's some oppression levels within the family as well because right. then women would feel oppressed in, in the traditional, you know, historical idea of, of, um, the patriarchy, right? right. But then also kids would be oppressed, um, because, they're, they have to do what their parents say. Yeah, so right? let me ask you this. You know, and you, you can tell me that you don't want to comment on this because you're not a Marxist, a, a trained Marxist. No, I'm not, yeah. But do you know then, does does someone with a Marxist worldview want to free children from the oppression of their parents? Yes. And so, they want to free women from the oppression of their husbands. Right, yeah, and so there's kind of two reasons for it. And there's kind of, there's some examples. If you've heard of, you know, the, the killing fields, Pol Pot in Cambodia. So there's some huh. things that he did that are a good example of of what that freeing and liberating looks like. The first one is that you, you separate the families and the kids from the families so you can more fo- better indoctrinate them, right, outside of, of their parents, right? Ooh, interesting. Simple one. But then there's also the idea that your kids belong to the collective, right? So he would identify kids' skills and people's and through as they are as they're training kids, and they would send those kids to work wherever those skills match the needs of the people. So this, oh. this centralized kind of planning idea. So oh again, goodness. it's the idea that the, your kids don't belong to the family. They belong to everybody. They belong oh, to the yeah. state. Right. Yeah, and yeah. so, um, there are, they're a labor there. So this is a theory that's actually been implemented in some countries, right? Some sovereign countries. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. Go, go watch the movie, the killing fields from 1984. And it kind of makes a big point of that. Um, oh my goodness. but, you know, there's and even even I mean, Black Lives Matter is back in the news because of they're talking about how they're spending their money. And, right. Um, but they on their site, when they kind of rose to prominence, there's a big to do, uh, probably rightfully so, that on their kind of like about us or stated mm. beliefs page. Yep. Uh, they they identified themselves as trained Marxists. And then they said, like, to quote, they wanted to disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and quote unquote villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children. Wow. So, so, and that's some of the pushback, right? When BLM was big uh, and people were saying, you know, why can't you say Black Lives Matter? Don't you believe that? And I remember some of the pushback was, but to say that is to support the Black Lives Matter political arm, Correct. which right. ha- holds as its fundamental value what they say here, right, is disrupting the Western prescribed nuclear family. And right. So you could see why you know, you could see why the backlash, and I don't really understand, I don't really understand why, and of course, if we had a uh, trained Marxist from the Black Lives Matter um, um, uh, organization, I guess we'll call it. We invited them on. They this, is what, yeah, they yeah. <laughs> this is what I would ask. I would say, why not offer and aspire to support each other as extended families and villages 
that collectively care for one another and care for our kids and leave it at that. I don't quite get why, unless you have some really, really dark objective or motive driving it. I don't quite understand why you would start with, to. well, I, I do know. I guess you're yeah. saying so, yeah. right? If you don't disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family, you leave kids in their homes basically being oppressed and learning to accept oppression, right? right? And the wives aren't free from oppression, yeah. so they're being subjugated in their own families. Yeah, wow. I think it's a, the critical word is prescribed, right? Yeah. Western prescribed. Gotcha. So the idea is, again, this goes back to our conversation, is who's doing the prescribing, yes. right? What, yeah. Who is who's defining the best case or the best environment for human flourishing, yeah. right? In our, in our, and you'll talk about this, but there's one is that the objective God, right? Mm. Who's the creator, right? They, you know, the Marxists would say, well, it's the people in power who are prescribing this Western for their culture, own gains, right? right. So, who are, who are imperfect and probably have ulterior motives. Right. They yep. would say. Yeah. And so, the, so then that kind of takes on, there's also like that kind of expand, not everyone's a Marxist, but the idea that you like, it takes a village, mm. right? You've heard that before, right? So the idea that, um, you know, the idea that kind of raising your children is a communal society will build a, a communal, big, harmonious family rather than fractured, competitive, squ squabbling family units, hmm. right? So it's this bit of a utopian perception yep. of, and then that's connected with, okay, well, families, a lot, of it, all, a lot of it has to do with sex. It's like, well, families are, you know, I can't pursue, they're restrictive. I can't pursue my sexual freedom and my sexual happiness in a monogamous family, you know, unit. Yeah. So the idea that it's both individual and that I, it, it limits my happiness, but then also that it takes a village where we can create this big utopian happy family as opposed to competing individual family units. Wow, you know? wow. And then the last one is, there's a there is some on the the extreme like American conservative individualism, which is the idea that I am the sole steward of my family and my kids belong to me or or us as parents, and I have no obligation either legal or moral to other mm. families other than my own. Wow. Okay. Right. So also individualism, almost right. cultural yeah. uh, American cultural independence, right? Right. To the degree in which you're isolated from feeling in any way obligated to the rest of the community. Right. It's an ultimate ob libertarianism where I'm my own unit. I don't, again, like I said, the spectrum of, of, um, obligation of either mm -hmm. legal obligation, moral, ethical, yeah. or even social, like social yeah. obligation. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, um, well, and, and maybe that explains why the, the, the surge of fences, suburbs, sure. um, you know, closed front doors and back doors and yep. fenced in yards. Interesting. Yep, exactly. And so, um, so those are kind of like the, the different worldviews that we're probably missing a bunch. But when we think of, again, this isn't a one side versus the other side conversation. We think of the foundational concepts of human flourishing. There's a whole bunch of different worldviews. Yeah. We happen to live in the United States where all these are kind of melding together. But yeah. these are the in, these are the things informing us and saying, well, these are the competing worldviews that we're talking about. And so. they're flaring up, really. And you, and you see these things are flaring up. And it's very difficult I don't know if you've noticed this, Yon, but it's very difficult to understand the, the the driving forces, the roots underneath the fruits of these conversations. Right. Yeah. It's so complex, right? And there's and these differences in these worldviews are getting compounded pretty right. intensely. Yeah. In my opinion. <laughs> yeah. When I mean, it's just you can just look around and even the things that we've probably discussed, like. Black Lives Matter, whether it being the "Don't Say Gay" bill, transgenderism, even the fact that we mentioned them. As you're listening, dear listener, you're probably having some like 
mm. some either right some reaction. thoughts that come to yeah a reaction is happening yeah. of one side or the other yep. right and so these these ideas these tensions and these differences are being compounded um, and they're manifesting in a lot of ways that we see that are unhealthy. Yeah. Right? And, and and here's here's one. I mean, I got a few observations about this, Yon, and you can pick up on this too yeah. if it kind of triggers you. Uh, to, but the the differences are being compounded from my view. Again, this is not a theological view, and this wouldn't be the transform part of the of the episode here. But instead, just a just my observation is it seems like these differences are being compounded by trying to address these complicated problems politically and right. using laws yeah. right it seems so complicated and, and unnecessarily more complicated to deal with gender identity and protecting the family or advancing the flourishing of the nuclear family traditionally by by simply going the political lawmaking route right because yeah. the, the, there's so many as you just j- just described there's so many nuances there's so many worldviews underneath the surface and and by the way if you're trying to solve these problems politically with laws, you can't write into a law compassion. You can't write into a law nuances. The, the, in fact, if you look at the quote-unquote don't say gay bill, which is actually considered a parental rights bill, if you look at the paragraph, and I know that if you follow the pop culture political news in any way, you've already seen this, it's only a few lines in the bill. Right. And the, the in that bill, it never says don't say gay. Right. Um, it doesn't deal with the nuances of what both sides are trying to protect. Mm-hmm. One side's trying to protect their gender identity from being erased from conversations, yep. right? And the other side is trying to predict, uh, protect their right to inform their own child in their own home some of these very sensitive and very difficult matters of sexual orientation and identity and, and so on. And there is there is no understanding in these laws extended to the other person. The laws don't understand what I just said. In fact, the objective in a political battle through these laws is to win and belittle your opponent. How do I know that? Just consider the name of the bill and the way that it was spun as a don't say gay bill. Right. That's that. um, So it's, it's the object. The objective of that was to uh, basically frame it a certain way. And I understand and both sides do that, you know, painfully what they do is they say here are the implications in my view and so we're going to name it based on its implications right so that makes it so difficult and using hyperbole you know categorizing the opposing view with these um you know um one side categorizing that law and anybody supporting that law the lgbtq plus or the teachers um you know being categorized as groomers you know, as a means of throwing bombs uh, and, and winning politically or winning with this law. Meanwhile, the parents' right side are um, being being categorized as targeting and attacking LGBTQ plus community and right. children. Yeah. So I just don't see how we're going to solve any of these issues when we when we uh, we deal when we deal with it politically using laws. I know I understand that we're a, a nation of laws. I understand that we have to sort these things out um, in the courts at times, and these laws have to be written. But to me, it's just it just completely fails to make a good faith attempt at listening, hearing, understanding, understanding the other side's fears and frustrations. Right. Because that's not the goal. The goal right. isn't to understand. The goal is to win right. and belittle and demean and demonize the other side. And I think one of the problems with the hyperbole, right, the exaggerating for the sake of emphasis, is that the hyperbole is 
lots of times rooted in truth in some of those worldviews we just described. Yeah. But it's it's usually a very fringe minority, right? right? Where on one side you could say, these people are just groomers and want to destroy the nuclear family. Every single one of them, their whole aim is to destroy the nuclear family. It's like, okay, well, there's pro- there's some who are articulating that's what they want. Yeah. But that's not the right. That's not the vast majority, right? You could right. you could be positive and say, well, they again they they care about families that are really families are important. But there's no families for these kids to have these conversations in. So yeah. they have to have this conversation in the school, right? We can be positive in that intention. I mean, yep. the, the hyperbole of the other way is is again, it's these these people don't want don't want any connection to to the community. They don't want. They just want to live on their own, and they don't care about anybody but themselves, right? right. It's like well. That's not what the parents' rights groups are, but it's hyperbole and then it's effective yeah. because you can point to some examples of that, right. and, but that's where it stays. And so, like you said, we're demonizing each other. Yeah. There's no compassion, no and, nuance, no and understanding. A, exactly. And there's a real question around this type of um, law. Are there people who are grooming? I'm sure there are. Are there parents' rights groups who are targeting and attacking LGBTQ uh, community and children? Probably. Yeah, I'm sure right. there are. Yeah. But... You know, again, here we go again with the 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 rage bait click or the rage click bait, right? And it's hyperbole on one side, hyperbole on the other, and it's so difficult. And so, what happens? We engage in a culture war, and we engage in a culture war with the um, and and it's happening. And you could see signs of how the culture war has two sides. Actually, I recently discovered or, or have been reading about how the culture war is global and the global sides are progressivism and populism. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. But we, we, we are in this um, culture war and it's some people believe that the objective of one side is to dissolve the nuclear family. Right. And that, that uh, obviously, if you come from a biblical worldview and you, you hold your faith dear and that biblical worldview to be dear to you, um, hearing that your kids don't belong to you, to a Christian, um, it really does, I, I, I don't want to say brings out the worst, but um, it explains why some of the extreme reaction, sure. right? The other side is saying your kids don't belong to you. And, and you know, to a Christian, when you say it takes a village, uh, we mean adding an outside community family to your home right sure, we don't yeah. mean replacing your family with the community sure yeah. we mean we we mean your family gets put into an, an additional community of faith family or your neighborhood or whatever and you add that to your family right you're not saying it takes a village so we're going to dissolve our nuclear family right it's but that's the, easy yeah. for that side to say if you have a nuclear family right exactly yeah. yeah yeah the nuclear family is a is a primary design for human flourishing and then that's not and it's not in a vacuum, it's within the context of a broader, even Christian community, right. a faith family, right, with different levels of engagement where your local church that you're part of, but then you're kind of connected to a broader Christian family. So like there's kind of like, there's kind of echelons of, of what it means to be in a family in right. the Christian worldview. And so, yeah, so anytime you, there's a perception of that being torn down or, or torn away, it's going to elicit a bit of a reaction. So Yeah, and the reaction comes from, each group fearing the loss of something sacred to them and fighting to protect their values. Right. That's where these battles come from. So when, you, when you're when you watching these battles happen or you're listening to them, I mean, it's important for us to, to process this. These groups are fearing the loss and they're fighting to protect something that they have. 
that is of penultimate value to them, right? The progressives, they're trying to protect identity selection and affirmation and inclusion. And the populists are trying to protect the fundamental identity acceptance. You don't select your identity, you accept it. Um, and to, uh, uh, in fact, uh, adopting that identity and then the preservation of biological tradition. Uh, and so the populists are trying to protect something. The progressives are trying to make progress away from something. And that's important to see those almost all the things that we ever talk about po politically or pop culture fall into those two global uh, uh, sides that are at war with each other. So, And the ultimate foundational thing is in all of it, they are aiming, they think this is the best pathway for me and for society to yep. flourish, right? right? Yep. And we we would argue that we don't get to make those determinations. That yes. Ultimately, those are revealed to us by God, our creator, who knows who, yeah. not only who created us, but also has our best interest in mind, right. right? And says, these are the guardrails, and this is the design, and here's the way you want to do it. That's and that's why point. families are such the foundational piece. But if we got we have to look at it through that lens. I think when we do that, it grows our empathy for each other and the different viewpoints, yep. and it grows ourselves in grace, and it also realizes... You know, I am constantly trying to run away from yeah. God's design in my own life and his superiority. But you're going to kind of talk to us a little bit about, you know, okay, well, what what's the biblical worldview and how do we transform our world with a different way, right? Yeah. The, the, the biblical that's way. such a great setup, you know, and I, I appreciate your view on that, that that's exactly it. And, and so when you get to the transform part, right, uh, it's important to start with the Christian worldview fundamentals. What are the foundations how does the Christian worldview come up with two foundational genders as it relates to building a family, right? Um, are the genders binary? Is there only two in our social, uh, cultural uh, um, existence? Are they, are they a social or cultural construct, two, right. two genders, that, that really can just be taken down by saying, hey, this is just social, and we can decide arbitrarily to change that at any time the christian worldview would start with well what was god's design idea right. you know how did how did it begin um are are we bound to the two genders the way that we're bound to gravity the way that we're bound to thermodynamic the laws of thermodynamics the laws of uh you know limitless laws of nature or not so um the good i mean this is so helpful right the this whole wonderful beautiful complicated business of a two-sexed humanity was god's idea and how do we know that because it's described in the bible you got to start at genesis 1 and in verse 27 28 this is this is you just unpack this a little bit and you can see where the christian worldview comes from and how um how this becomes so deeply embedded in the christian community genesis 1 27 and 28 it reads like this so god created human beings in his own image in the image of god he created them so there's a double there's a double line there repeating how important it is how uh, specific and how uh, vital it is and he created them male and female he created them then god blessed them and he said be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and govern it and we get this what you know i mean some fundamental theologians might kind of describe this or categorize this as a mandate but listen to this god creates he creates a male he creates a female 
He creates them in his image to feel and love and create and design and cultivate and oversee and basically exercise all these all these unique human traits that are just like God. Then he blesses them and he says, here's what I want you to do. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Imagine this. Try, just try to try to take this in. The mandate for a human, uh, human being is to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and govern. So this is a profoundly important mandate to build families and expand a civilization. Hmm. Basic, fundamental building blocks of what? Building a family and expanding a civilization. So without this, there's, without this mandate, right? If we can just say, well, let's, let's kind of jettison this. Let's kind of slide this into the margins or... Like some said in those, uh, those first statistics that you gave us, Yon, just kind of minimize this mandate, marginalize it, or put it along with every other priority to have a career and go to school and, 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 right. and, and make some money and be good to people and whatever else. If it's just the same priority level, it's a, it, it, it causes a real crisis. How then do we procreate and who and how do we cultivate a civilized culture if that's just marginalized, right? right? Um, so those are, those are some vital things. By the way, he goes on to say, I mean, the, the author in Genesis here goes on to say, rain over the fish and the sea, the birds and the animals that scurry along the ground. Basically, you don't submit to the environment, the environment submits right. to you. Adam is naming animals the same right. way God is totally. naming things. So was that, that you know that image That's of God, right. authority of you know participating in it is like it's pretty incredible. Yeah, stuff, you know? great point. And obviously, as Christians, we've done this in our in our we did this in our um, I think our climate change episode sure. where we're like yeah, yeah. rain over doesn't mean exploit, right. yeah. ruin, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, but then I think this begs the question though: Is there more specifics? that God gives us on biological gender construct or binary gender construct related to family building mm. and the fundamentals. Right. Well, Genesis chapter two goes on. So the Lord God caused the man of the man to fall into a deep sleep. Sun, I always imagine this is like Sunday afternoon at two o'clock. Right. <laughs> While a man, I imagine it's Sunday at 10 a.m. That's not oh, funny. Wait, that's that's not, not funny. <laughs> oh, during the singing or the hosting? Yeah, yeah the hosting. Yes. <laughs> While the man slept... The Lord God took out one of the man's ribs, and he closed up the opening, fortunately. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one, this creature, is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She would be called woman because she, has, she was taken from a man. So the whole human race, it is, always has been, and will be for the rest of the time comprised of these two biblical genders, sexes, two differentiated and complementary sexes. And this per, kind of like a per, perpetual, uh, what's the word we were using earlier, you own bi, bifurcated, right? Yeah. It's, it's divided into two, ordering of humanity. Here's what we know based on what we just read. It's not by accident. It's not a second thought. It is by God's specific creative mandated design so male female gender is not a social construct it's not something the culture said you know here's humans how are we going to divide them up right. let's divide them up in a binary way only male only female instead um, we see that god has yeah. dramatically specifically 
eternally designed it that yeah. way with no indication in the scriptures that it's it's something right. that we just kind of manage and alter as we become more yeah. enlightened and it's even like a not that god didn't know sovereignly what he was doing but it's like he created adam and then it's like well this is not the optimal environment for adam's flourishing yeah he's like we have to get like now a woman right and so adam says at last right yeah so, so even that's like god has created is like demonstrating again that yeah. those two different biological sexes equivalent to the genders right and they're inseparable those are yes those are complete and that's the that's the best example contrary to even previous creation right right, uh, uh, in the timeline that's the best way for humans to flourish right yeah that's so good that's so good in fact it appears that god was saying that without woman man was incomplete right and also it it's recorded in genesis that the first thing that wasn't good was that god said man is alone yeah and uh, and everybody knows there's nothing good about it. <laughs> yeah. So then we've got this question: What about marriage? Right? What about marriage? Is marriage a social cultural construct that you can trace back to where humans were unmarried, and then they decided, well, to build a society, we should right. start getting married, and then and then there was a split in the community where one part of the culture said well we we don't think marriage is important another part said well we think it is important and one side says well this is a social construct and the other says no it's not so what's the what's the answer to the question if you read in verse 24 you just follow through it's genesis 2:24 it goes on to say this this explains why a man leaves his father this is after the mandate by the way this is after what right. after god says okay we've got a man, we take his rib, we create a woman. Of course, we think that could be a very vivid picture, some metaphorical True. picture of how that happened, mm-hmm. um, or literal. But if you, if you, um, if you go from there, and then say, now what do these man and woman do? What's their role? What are they supposed to be um, doing at the very, very beginning here in Genesis? This explains why a man leaves his father and his mother, and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Hmm. The two, it says in some versions, the two become one flesh, hmm. right? So this is a specific, literal explanation and description of what marriage is. The And I see this all the time in marriage counseling, too. It's so vital that the husband leaves his home. He can't... Hmm. He can't really? No. He, can't, he <laughs> can't come into a marriage and still primarily be parented by mom and dad or be um, submitted to mom and dad... Mm-hmm. And still trying to grow his own uh, his own relationship and his own family. That's a whole separate topic. But um, so we see the the man leaves his father and mother. He's joined to his wife, and then the two are united into one. And what happens? We begin to see procreation and cultivate cultivate cultivation of civilization. Mm, yeah. So why is this important? What is at stake in God making us male and female? Really, is the gospel now? <laughs> How are we going to connect this marriage with the gospel? Well, we don't connect it. Paul connects it, hmm. and he calls it a mystery. And the mystery of marriage is, is, is profound, but it refers to Jesus and the church. And the mystery in the New Testament sense refers to something hidden, and then it's revealed. The Bible's explaining in the New Testament that God created man and woman, two different sexes, so that he might paint a living picture of the differentiated but complementarily working together union of Jesus and his church. Mm. Ephesians 5, of course, you know, if you're familiar with that, it's a, it's a passage about marriage. But we can't really make sense of the underlying logic unless we know 
God's intentions in creating marriage as a gospel-shaped union between a different but equal union or pair. Hmm. So any any move, any decision or any um, legislation to abolish fundamental distinctions between men and women is a move. I mean, whether nobody probably isn't intentionally done, right? Or maybe it is to tear down the building blocks of redemption Mm. itself, the the union between Jesus and Jesus's church who are different, uh, but they complement each other as the bride and the groom is the metaphor in the scripture. Mm. So now, now listen, if you're not familiar with that and you're listening to this description, that's kind of hard to grasp. Right? Wouldn't you think, you know, that if that's the first time you've heard that, you're like, wait, what? Yeah, you're Man, like, okay. woman is a yeah. marriage mystery that it's right. related to Jesus and the church. But basically, it's the, Jesus represents the man. Man right. represents the Jesus mm-hmm. role. Then there's a union between Jesus and the church. And the church is represented by the female or the wife. Right. Right. And so if you dissolve those two genders, you're also dissolving the metaphor that's used by Paul in the book of Ephesus, uh, in the book of Ephesians the metaphor of of saying that men and women are coming coming together in a way that Jesus and his church have come together and Jesus lays his life down to save the the church right or to serve the church right and then you get this marriage example the mystery of marriage where the husband represents Jesus's self-sacrificing love to elevate the needs of his bride right mm-hmm. so yeah. there's a lot more to it in the Christian worldview than saying you know what if we want to accept and affirm gender fluidity you just have to have an open mind and be up to date on what's happening socially right right that's that makes sense but there's a lot more that has to be kind of um untethered right or undercut or um uh, maybe the word is um i don't know divorced from some fundamentals yeah there's a very big distinction between a bunch of christian philosophers and thinkers got together and came up with the concept of marriage and it's a foundational yeah. piece of christianity yeah. as opposed to no god instituted it from the beginning it's deeply connected to even the larger narrative of scripture between jesus and his church and it's all representative and emblematic of that central point of human history of, of jesus divine intervention and his bride in the church yeah. right so it's very two different ways if, if it's one you can say well yeah of course you can change it it's a social contract construct it's just Christian philosophers and thinkers created it as opposed to, well, it's not a, it's a, it again is a fundamental connection to the central thesis of Christianity and it's God's design. Yeah. Right. And so it's, it's, it's difficult to say, yeah, let's change that. Yeah. That is, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's it. And that's good. And, and we see here that marriage is designed to function according to a divine fittedness. So, so what does that mean? Well, men and women are fit. They fit together. The two become one, and they're not interchangeable. So the man and the woman, in marriage especially, but in the rest of life as well, they fit together. Are you going to talk about the birds and the bees? No, oh. no. I'll mention them, but I'm not going to talk about them. I know your kids anything. are listeners, so we're going to lose listeners. And by the way, Yon's been asking to do an episode on the birds and the bees since the beginning. Coming soon. <laughs> So it's personal preferences. Do you like the birds <laughs> or the bees? I don't even know how that works. But, yeah. Personal preferences. Uh, we have, I mean, we have some lofty goals, lofty goals. Yeah. So, so the man and the woman fit together, meaning that they're supposed to function according to a divine fitness, right? So this is kind of keeping with the um, 
the the ordering of the entire cosmos and and you can use nature itself to see this picture right this this idea when you think about the binary nature of creation itself binary meaning there's two categories or there's two hmm. very specific individual but um but hardened hardwired um sides or 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 uh they 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 the two fit together think of this in the beginning god created what the heavens and the earth they are two separate things they fit together uh, not only in the in the pairing of creation but you can find other sorts of couples in the scripture like sun and moon morning and evening day and night sea and dry land plants and animals uh, and before reaching the climactic couple a man and a woman in every pairing each part belongs with the other hmm. but neither is interchangeable right you can't interchange the sun with the moon you can't interchange the morning and the evening the day and the night the sea and the dry land plants and animals um so what does this mean in summary god created us male and female and it has cosmic and enduring significance from the very beginning to the very end the biblical storyline which is the design of creation itself you know it depends upon the distinction between male and female as different from one another and also fitted each for the other hmm. so you just said it's a cosmological yeah is that a word no it is yeah your okay. cosmology okay. is like well thank you yeah that's I, that's I, what i, I love meant that. to say but that's a big i mean when you think of it that way what does that mean then it's like that your 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 theology your ology right your understanding of the makeup of the universe yeah. right so essentially what you're saying is like so all of it is even emblematic so that changes the conversation from right all of that exactly. ridiculous little petty nuance petty little groomer and your all that little language to well this is like a this that's not what we're really talking right. about we're talking about someone's theology their cosmology their big picture of this this is important stuff and we're just talking usually about some petty things in the way it kind of shows up in yeah. some couple sentences in a law, but we're not, we're not talking about real deeply held foundational right. beliefs. We're actually saying we have to acknowledge and accept the, the Christian worldview says we have to acknowledge and accept that this is the design book that we've been given, mm -hmm. right? You may want to create the, 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 uh, like a master builder in a Lego set just right. creates whatever, however, but eventually we come back to say, here's how the designer wrote up the assembly. Um, right. and, that, and again, for people who don't like hard definitions or, yeah. or, or static, traditional, fundamental um, building blocks or prescriptions, yeah. right? This, is, this is violates the spirit of an, of an anarchist sure. or, right. a, yeah. you know. Um, and, and certainly we should consider, do we disagree with this? Um, is it possible that I don't accept this as God's design for a family? Uh, do I genuinely, deeply feel compelled to modify this fundamental purpose? Uh, because here, by the way, if you feel that way, this is that's not a new, enlightened, or progressive ideal. The first time humans rejected these objective and fundamental truths, they the, the two human beings had names, Adam and Eve, and they disobeyed God in order to be their own God, to make their own rules, set their own standards, kind of design things they wanted to design. Right. And what happened? God expels them from paradise. They were relationally separated from God, and it required a rescuer, Jesus, to come back and, re and reconcile them. And not surprisingly, it's a God-man incarnated as a human into a traditional biblical family with a female mom and a right. male 
human father, mm-hmm. right? So um, it it it's it is understandably controversial. Yeah, and it's and it's even more controversial when you actually right when you meet people and actually know people who struggle with some of these things where you're like where you're like okay well that's God's design well then why do I have same sex attraction yeah right it's yeah. like well why would God curse me if you grow oh. up in the church you'd be like like I would pray that that would go away right? right or if you grow up outside the church you wouldn't be you know you would feel that the maybe the perception of people is saying that you are you're choosing that right, right. it's a choice right or like well then why would God design me with these or you talk about the transgender conversation you know it's right. like well why would God design quote unquote me with the you know the small um, percentage of people who yes. have gender dysphoria like diagnosed right. was like well what like why well why did God does it's not my fault God made me like that in his sovereignty like so and when you listen yeah. to us describe this this way Yon, that is a I mean it's gotta be painful to hear this very rigid description of how God designed and then to then to perceive that you don't fit into that sure right yeah and if you if you are, if you hold to this Judeo-Christian worldview that we just described, it is normal and natural to say it repeatedly, dogmatically, without any consideration for how someone who doesn't feel like they fit into that feels. Sure, now, that's yeah. a mistake. Yeah, that's a mistake. And and um, you know, if you if you know somebody or you yourself don't feel like you fit into that designed order that we just described. Um, it's important to recognize that not everybody who believes it's prescribed and it's designed and it's very, very rigid also loathes people who don't feel like they right. fit into it yeah. or somehow uh, hates those who don't support that design. I mean, um, it's such a, it's such a, and that's why I don't think it's easy to do to deal with these kinds of topics in sound bites or laws or, yeah, right. uh, or, or, or Twitter tweets, yeah. you know, and it even goes down to, I mean, we focus on those, the LGBTQI community when it comes to this, but like even the, even God's design for human flourishing is, is, I mean, even in, in our marriages, like with men who are married and who are Jesus followers, you're like, well, like, why do I still, why is there still some attraction to women who are not my wife, yeah. right? That God designed this for me, right? Yep. It's like, even that, it's like, well, what the heck, God? Like, it's yeah. like if your design is... I'm married, don't, can't right, you cut exactly, this all? Can't you cut this all out? You know, come on. Right. Um, if you, this is your design for human flourishing, but it is, you know, again, a product of our, again, you go back to, like you said, Adam and Eve, uh, the product of us wanting to define right. good and evil for ourselves exactly. and wanting to say, so we've broken it, right? We've, we've, yep. we've broken the design irreparably and we need, again, an external force, an external person right. to come and to help And save. we're fitting into the design in a flawed way, sure, right? Yeah. So we're teaching it in a flawed way, we're explaining it in a flawed way, we're fitting into it in a flawed way, but it's important to know the blueprint before we start trying to build our lives. Yep. And uh, so this is the blueprint, but it's worth mentioning too, that if, if, if there are people who don't have a family, uh, God also has designed for those people to immerse themselves into a faith family. Mm -hmm. And the faith family is imperfect, completely imperfect, but super important. So, um, you know, and, and here's my hope. My hope is that this is an, is, this is informational, inspiring, and also instructive on uh, trying to understand how Christians with a, with the Christian worldview salt the earth, 
But none of these, what we consider truths, none of these doctrines and none of this dogma should be used as a weapon mm-hmm. to um, lash people who don't agree. Right. You know, And that's kind of the tone, I hope, of our Salted podcast anyway, is that right. this is something to reorient, to provide foundation, some roots, some f- building blocks in our worldview. But it's not a hammer, and it's not a sword, and it's not a knife, yeah. and it's not a stone to throw at people. And and, yeah. um, and it's not a guilt trip for people who like who are Jesus followers who want a family. They're like, hey, I'd love a family, but I'd love to get married, or I'd love to have kids, but you know, there is a myriad of reasons why uh, that doesn't happen, right? I so, yeah. Um, but that's a you know, again, yeah, like you said, it's not a guilt trip, it's not a condemnation, it's not a you shoulda, coulda, woulda, but it's um, like you said, instructional, and we're again. The goal is to say, how do we have these conversations, right? What are we, I think when we have the conversation on these big levels, it grows our empathy. Yep. It grows our grace for people who are trying to figure out human flourishing and, and, and apart from God's design. And how do we winsomely help them see what God's design is? Well, we don't do it by calling everybody a groomer or we're oh. calling everybody a, yep. you know, a bigot or, or, you know, so. I agree, Yon. That's really, really well said. And I, and I second that. I second that. It's um, uh, it it's so important that all of these conversations are done with understanding that the the other side of our worldview is trying to find how do they fit in, mm-hmm. how do they, f- how do they gain the acceptance that quote unquote heteros have gained or sure, yeah. uh, binary you know or they would say cisgenders how do they mm-hmm. how do we gain the same kind of acceptance uh, most non-politically driven folks are just trying to say don't i matter right can i be included in in yep. in, in this culture the way that uh, mm-hmm. traditional roles and, and genders have so i think it's important to recognize what um what human beings are after and have compassion even though we have a very well-defined worldview of how it's supposed to be yep yeah well that wraps up the unserious part of the program no we get i call the program like we're on the radio but um (laughs) let's talk a little bit about a way in which god's good design for celebrating easter and um how do you how do you do it when you do you embrace the easter bunny and do you embrace delicious treats and what are some of your maybe your preferences in delicious treats we usually give an either or but there's so many different ones well let's do either or on easter bunny or not okay um how can this be any different from the christmas question santa or no santa but i don't i just feel like i feel like easter like are people really making a big deal about the easter bunny isn't it just a yes yeah, but they just, it doesn't Easter Bunny just gonna, hide eggs? What are you going to do? Take Kennedy and Kai to an empty tomb? <laughs> I mean, yeah. right? Yeah, but the Easter Bunny is, I feel like it's not the equivalent of Santa Claus. Like, Santa Claus is oh. like everything, all the movies. There's no, like, there's no whole genre of movies about the Easter Bunny and all this no, stuff. No, but like, the Easter Bunny is primarily exists to bring good treats to yeah, the kids on the weekend. And um, so we, we didn't, obviously, we didn't. Uh, is it obvious if we don't do Santa? If we don't highlight Santa, I should say, right? Yeah. We also don't, didn't highlight the Easter Bunny. But my wife brilliantly, she kind of, she was able to strike a a perfectly happy medium, which is no Easter Bunny, just the Easter baskets. Mm, Yeah. So she does a... So a little chocolate crucifix, crucifix Jesus's. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> oh no, wait. Empty tombs, <laughs> oh, I guess. So maybe. Yeah. Or eggs. Oh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so she does an Easter basket with the traditional kind of Easter. Um, you know, and if you're come from a Christian worldview, even saying Easter can be cringy because it's Resurrection Day, mm-hmm. right? And if you're kind of a humanistic, atheistic, secularistic American, Easter is fine. Yeah. But if you're not, if you if you have this kind of this uh, faith tradition that's kind of the, the the main focus of your life, Easter is Resurrection Day. Mm. Then, so to me, Resurrection Day is unique from Easter. Easter is a season of um, spring that the Americans, we Americans celebrate with our kids and we bring them to a bunny and then we have, uh, you know, chocolates. And listen, let's be honest, any... Any Easter treat is better than the peep. Yeah. Is that I, true? I, I hate peeps. I saw a picture of a, it was a, it was a peep that was a bunny, but it was like nailed to a cross. Oh, oh, like so oh, 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 But yeah, just peeps Another in reason general. to hate peeps. Yes, Impersonating peeps. our savior. Yes, peeps are, I, I just don't know what is desirable about peeps. I don't uh, know. Well, if you, you like marshmallow, uh, it's a bunny shape. And it's got that granular sugar on it, and I don't know. I know that it's a probably it's probably a child treat, right? But it, so here's what I'll do. I would I would give away all my peeps if someone really likes them, and I'll trade them for those Cadbury eggs. Yeah, those mini eggs are the, probably the best Oof. thing out there. Yep, and it's I can a, eat a whole bag of those. Oh, easy, no easy. No more peeps. Lots of egg, Cadbury eggs. That's right. No Easter bunny. Nope. Just no the peeps. Easter basket. Just the Easter basket. Just the Resurrection Day basket. <laughs> and an empty one. An empty one. Yep. That's right. Exactly. Um, That's funny. Any other bad biblical jokes we can make? I think you have just used them all. Okay. Well, You've you're welcome, moved. everybody. <laughs> Enjoy your resurrection day baskets and your resurrection day eggs and uh we'll see you next time thanks so much for checking out the salted podcast you can find other episodes and topics on soundcloud spotify and apple podcast make sure you click follow so you'll get notifications whenever new episodes come out thanks for listening